Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Grounded. We're a student-run podcast and we hope to help other students increase their mental health literacy and learn employment and academic skills to reduce some of the major stresses in students' lives. I'm Basma. And I'm Sarah. So before we start, we would like to provide a little disclaimer. Our podcasts do cover various mental health topics and it may be sensitive to some viewers at times. Feel free to pause or exit from the podcast whenever you want to. In case you need any help or support, please find the resources we have linked in the description boxes. So today we have the absolute privilege of talking to Rasheen Trainer, the health promotion coordinator at UNSW. She also helped lead the Project Mind program, which led to the start of Grounded UNSW. Cool. So hi, Rasheen. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Sarah. It's been <laughs> nice to see all the students back this week. Yes, definitely. Um, so I guess to kick off our podcast, we were wondering if you could just briefly introduce yourself and what you do at the Health Promotions Unit at UNSW. Yeah. So my name is Roisin Trainer. I'm Health Promotions Coordinator within the Health Promotions Unit. So we're a small team um, made up by a lot of students as well. We work really closely with the UNSW Health Service and the Psychology and Wellness Service on campus. So that was previously called CAPS, and I'll explain about the new name um, later on. But we work within that team, and our main focus is to create awareness of those services so students know they're there if they need if they do need them. But really, we focus on trying to keep students well so that they make the most out of their university experience, um, that they really thrive and so that they um, can stay healthy and, you know, gain these kind of good life skills at a crucial age so that once they move forward into the workforce or whatever they do in their future, that they know the importance um, of their health and well-being. And that's really important. So for us, we work across different areas really relevant to the student age group so we do a lot of stuff in the sexual health space um September is a big event that happens each September um and really um you know destigmatizing um sexual health um encouraging people to get tested and um doing a lot of work with um consent and healthy relationships in that space as well we uh, also have a learn to swim program so that's really designed for international students um, increasing their confidence in the water, beach safety, um, because we know that Australian lifestyle, and, you know, especially being on the coast here, it's all part of the university experience. So we want students to feel safe um, to do that and get involved in that. Um, we do a little bit in other things like alcohol and other drugs, but that's something we're hoping to do a little bit more moving forward. Um, but the main area that I work in is mental health. Um, so we try as much as possible within our team to have everything as, you know, co-designed by students and delivered by students. So student minds, um, Sarah, I know you're one of our amazing yeah. volunteers. Um, student minds is really the bulk of what we do within the mental health space. So they're amazing volunteers. From all backgrounds, we have a lot of psychology students who are obviously interested in that area, but we've amazing volunteers across different faculties like engineering, um, law, who are really passionate about um, well-being and mental health. Um, they 
want it to be normalized to seek help and um, you know there's this tendency to think that students part of the university experience is to be stressed out and it doesn't need to be that way and um, we can normalize stress and think that it's just something we have to live with but um, we try to reduce that for students as much as possible so mainly looking at mental health literacy so empowering students to um, be able to help other students if they're struggling with their mental health because we have all these amazing services but if students um, don't know that they maybe have a problem or have a barrier to seek to seek in that service um, you know it's really the peers and the friends that are going to make the difference there so we upskill volunteers um, through mental health first aid um, and other students in recognizing and responding when someone um, may have an issue and we also have events like mental health month which is really focusing on destigmatizing mental health creating awareness of the things that we can do to prevent mental illness. Um, and we work really closely with other groups like Headspace and with the ARC wellness team to do that. Um, we would be involved in Stress Less Week and those kind of events as well. You mentioned um, mental health literacy, which like is obviously one of the focuses of our podcast. And um, oh, that's a really big reason why we want to talk about mental health first aid, because we both did... A course and we thought it was a really um, useful tool for teaching us to like and improving our own mental health literacy but could you maybe elaborate as a like mental health first aid instructor could you maybe elaborate a bit more on what it actually is? Yeah so mental health first aid if you think of conventional or physical first aid um, you know lots of people have done that course and once you do that course you learn how to provide that initial help to somebody so it might be to recognize if someone is taking a heart attack or if someone um, you know has an injury and then giving them initial support until they get their appropriate professional help so that might be calling an ambulance taking them to the doctor or it can be putting a bandage on a cut and cleaning it and then they're fine they don't need any more help you're not going to be a doctor or a nurse or paramedic from doing a conventional first aid course. So mental health first aid is very similar in that way. Um, you provide the initial support um, until the person gets appropriate professional help or they, um, they maybe don't need professional help. Maybe they just need some support to have a chat um, to know about some of the things that they can do to look after their mental health, like getting a healthy diet, exercising, stress management, mindfulness. Um, similar to that, it's not designed for psychologists or mental health experts. It's designed for members of the community. So anybody can do the course. Doesn't um, doesn't matter which faculty or school or degree they're doing. And in fact, it's probably even more useful for students in other degrees that don't have you know, the same mental health literacy as someone who maybe is in a psychology degree. But it's really about recognising that when someone may be struggling, so looking for the signs and symptoms, and then how to approach the conversation. So how to actually um, speak to somebody, all the kind of key skills that you need to listen effectively, to empathise with the person. And then... Um, being informed in some of the support that's available. So for example, knowing about the psychology and wellness service or the other people who can help at the university. And 
a big part of it is knowing about the barriers to help seeking. So sometimes people have a lot of reasons why they don't want to get help. So um, if a mental health first aider can kind of provide um, information around those barriers, that can be a huge benefit for someone who's struggling with their mental health. Perfect. Thank you for um, describing what mental health first aid is. I feel like a lot of people know what first aid is, but like they haven't really heard of what mental health first aid is. And this is a great way to promote what it's really about. Um, So if people are interested listening in right now, how can they sign up? That's a great question. Um, We have, we've been running mental health first aid for students for a number of years now. But our main kind of target has been students who are volunteers and in those kind of um, peer roles. So, for example, student minds, health and well-being ambassadors, um, the cultural mentors, different students who are in that kind of front facing roles. So we are shaking up how we do mental health first aid um, this year. Um, we're really excited to be launching a new network of mental health first aid officers. So that would be similar to how the Ally Network works at UNSW. I'm not sure if, if you've heard of that, but it's basically um, students who have been trained in mental health first aid can opt in to be identified as a mental health first aid officer as such. Um, so they would have some badging, identification, um, their names would be on a website. So you can look within your faculty or your school is there a mental health first aid officer that you could speak to about your own well-being or maybe another student that you're concerned about's well-being? Um, so we're really happy to be launching that. Um, to do that, we need to get a lot more people trained in different faculties across the university. So we will be making it much more accessible for students who aren't current volunteers um, with any of our programs. Those will be advertised. Um, probably the best place to be to join to be aware of it is just to follow Student Minds on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a newsletter which goes out about once per month, so it's not too often. Um, there's amazing articles in there by students, um, written by students about issues students are facing, and we'll put in there any upcoming courses, and students can book directly from that. So if you follow Student Minds UNSW on Facebook and Instagram, that's the best place. And then there'll be information on how to sign up for the newsletter. So upcoming courses will be advertised there and students can just book in um, at a time that suits them. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think I can speak for Sarah as well. We would both like highly recommend it to anyone who's interested to get involved with mental health first aid in any way they can. Um, So... We we're also hoping that maybe we could kind of give people a bit of a taste of what they might get out of actually doing a mental health first aid course. So um, if you could just kind of share like really briefly a couple of things that you might learn. Um, so firstly, kind of what is the most common mental health illness that you might yeah. be faced with? Yeah, so like mental um, mental illnesses are quite common. So, uh, you know, in Australian adults, the, the rate is about 20%. So about one in five people will experience a mental illness each year. The most common of those is anxiety disorders. So there's different types of anxiety disorders like PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety. They would all fall within that. Um, 
the rate of that is about um, 14% overall, and it's more common in females than in males. Um, I think there's a, a lot of reasons why that is, is more common. Um, it can be as a result of, you know, trauma, um, especially with post-traumatic stress disorder. If someone's experienced uh, any sort of trauma earlier on and that um, hasn't been something they've worked through, um, it can lead to anxiety later on. And we've all, I suppose, experienced some symptoms of anxiety, you know, around exam times or when there's a lot of assignments, so we can have an idea how that looks. But anxiety disorder is something that's a little bit more um, acute than that. So it would be someone who's experiencing that for quite a, a long time, um, for a few weeks or more. Um, it's quite severe, the symptoms that they're experiencing, and it's having an impact on their life. Um, so that's it's normal to feel stress now and again and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have an anxiety disorder but um, it's good to just be aware if someone seems to be struggling with this for a longer term um, that's what it could be um, so the most common mental illnesses are anxiety disorders depression and substance use disorders sometimes people are a bit shocked to see that uh, classified as a mental illness but it actually is um, and quite often people will experience um, anxiety and depression at the same time or anxiety, depression and substance use disorder at the same time because um, they really overlap. Um, you know, especially if someone's been feeling really stressed out, they may um, use a substance to help manage their feelings and cope with that, which is might work in the immediate short term, but long term, it's not an effective strategy. Yeah. I think it's also definitely very important to understand each of these mental health disorders and mental first aid is a great way to do that. Um, so while Spasma and I were doing the course, we noticed there were quite a few myths about mental health um, in general, and that was debunked during um, the course. Um, but we were just wondering if you could tell us a bit about like what are the kind of common myths that should be debunked and people should know more about it. Yeah, I'd love to hear, um, I have a few of my favourites, but I'd love to hear from, from you both what was the one that stood out to you. Um, for me, it was the paper bag. I actually thought that mm. it would be useful, it would be helpful, but um, apparently it's not. Like, I, I don't know, I think I've heard from my family members, from friends, they said that, oh, like when you like have like those breathing struggles, like paper bag will help you, like, you know, relax, you're breathing in a bag, it's very regulated. And that just always stuck with me. So, yeah, I was shocked to find out that was wrong. Yeah, sometimes you see that on films and TV that if someone's having a panic attack, give them a brown paper bag and, and help them. Um, so in mental health first aid, we don't recommend that you introduce anything like that to somebody if they're having a panic attack because um, it can become like a crutch that people become reliant on. So if they had a panic attack in the future and they didn't have a brown paper bag, um, then they might think that they won't be able to, you know, calm down without it. So if someone, you know, has, you know, experienced panic attacks for a long time and they have a paper bag and they wish to breathe from it, we wouldn't stop them from using it, but we just kind of don't really introduce these ideas. Yeah. What about you, Basma? Yeah, for me, I think um, uh, you mentioned earlier um, 
like substance use disorders, I think it's really easy to think of maybe something like smoking cigarettes, you think of it as just a bad habit or like using alcohol or drugs, you think of it as like a coping mechanism or something that people use. But you like, yeah, it was it was new for me to think of it as like, oh, this is actually like a mental health issue that people struggle with. Yeah. And I think it's one of those areas where there's the most stigma as well for people and can be a lot of shame and misunderstanding. But um, it, it is classified as, um, you know, medically as a, a mental illness. And I think that a lot of the times it can be as a result of people um, trying to cope with feelings that they that they've experienced. And nobody starts using a substance with the idea that they're going to become you know, dependent on that substance and have a substance use disorder. This is just something that can happen to people. It's it's never a choice for somebody. Um, so we probably need to really have a lot more empathy and understanding and de-stigma in that area. Um, on top of that, I suppose for me, the main myths, um, working with students from diverse backgrounds at the university, I've learned so much about how this, the myths can differ from different countries. Um, so for example, students in some countries think that like your mental health is linked to your intelligence. So that like if you have a mental illness, it's because you're not intelligent. And that's just not the case. Like just need to look at mental illness just in the same way as we do physical illnesses. They can just happen um, and people need support for them. So I think that would be quite scary if you were a student at a university and you were trying to do so well academically and you think that the university is going to, you know, assume that you're not smart enough to be there. That's just not the case. Um, so it's, I think that's a huge one. I also um, think that there is a bit of misunderstanding around um, confidentiality as well. If students do seek help for a mental illness in the university, that's treated confidentially. So other students won't know, um, academics, tutors, teachers won't know, um, only if the student wants somebody to know. So for example, if a student was experiencing quite severe um, social anxiety disorder, they weren't in a position to stand up in a classroom and deliver a presentation that's maybe part of an assignment. If that's an issue for them, there's uh, staff who can help them um, with you know, educational adjustments. Um, so the equitable learning service can advocate for the students. So the student doesn't have to go to each of their teachers to tell them, I can't do this. Um, they would just tell the equitable learning advisor and they would just let the academic know what the adjustment is. So they don't need to go into the person's personal details or anything. So it's your information is really confidential. It's not linked to your academic standing. Um, it's in no way reflects your academic standing. There's some really, really high achieving top academics across the world and in the NSW who will experience mental illnesses. And that um, is definitely, you know, not not a barrier to your university experience. Yeah, I think you also kind of touched on um, like people will experience different things. And so obviously like different mental illnesses will present themselves differently, but what are some like general signs and symptoms that someone's going through some kind of mental health issue just in general? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're definitely right. It would look different based on what the mental health concern is and the individual, you know, circumstances, but generally speaking, we're looking for a change in someone's behavior. So if somebody 
was always late to class because they you know stay up late gaming and have issues waking up in the morning that's not a concern but if somebody was normally first into the lecture theater was always highly organized um always you know everywhere punctual on time and they start not showing up or showing up late that's something then we might start to be concerned about so in any regards to any of the signs we talk about it's a change in someone's behavior so generally speaking, I can, it can be um, a huge one is withdrawal. So somebody who, um, you know, it's harder to see other symptoms, but someone who maybe misses classes, doesn't show up for social events, um, spends a lot more time in their room if they were living in college accommodation or, you know, with other people. So withdrawing is, is a massive one. Um, other things like it might be that they are tired a lot of the time. Um, they can have sleeping difficulties where they're sleeping too much or not enough. It could be eating difficulties, again, eating more or less. Um, physically, you might see changes in their appearance. So someone can look a little bit more disheveled, maybe lost weight, looking more tired. Um if it's things like anxiety disorders, it can obviously cause a lot of issues, you know, with their um, digestion and their GI tract. If they're kind of experiencing those butterflies in their t- in their stomach that we may have experienced, um, shortness of breath. Um, yeah, really looks different for different people, but always just looking for that change in behavior. Sometimes it's a little bit more obvious. So people might be quite upset and teary. Um, sometimes they'll just tell you you don't need to to you know you can work it out just in the course of a very quick conversation if people are you know inclined to share that information so um it's just being aware looking for any changes just because they're showing some of these signs and symptoms doesn't mean that they have a mental illness either like there may be an explanation for it so if somebody's turning up late to class all of a sudden and you're talking to them about it they maybe got a new job or they're the their bus has been cancelled and they're getting the light rail and it's impacting them. So it's just uh, finding out. And just because you see it doesn't mean you have to automatically have a mental health first aid conversation. You can just start off with, oh, what's happened? You know, you're normally here on time. Um, you're late. You know, what's what's happening for you? Um, and being very uh, non-judgmental about that as well. Mm, yeah. That's great. And I think um, something which I really liked about the mental health first aid course is there were videos and like case studies to show you what those like signs and symptoms actually really look like. So that's really helpful because you'd be seeing and the person doesn't immediately tell you, oh, I'm having these signs and symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess also building on on that, we were wondering if um, you could share some like general helpful tips and advice to help someone experiencing a mental illness we know it would be different for like different disorders but just in general um just a few tips to start uh, get the audience thinking about what would be helpful yeah and just on that Sarah the the videos for mental health first aid are amazing and they they've done an amazing job in creating those so um if you do get a chance to do the training you'll you'll see how it can look in other people and you you might start recognizing things you've noticed in the past um so in terms of someone supporting someone else like obviously I would really encourage people to try to do some sort of training like mental health first aid just really to give you the confidence to know um, that you can 
they can help somebody. So even just from that confidence base. Um, when helping someone, I think it's really important that you um, be yourself in the conversation. So you don't have to know all the answers to somebody's issues. You don't have to be an expert in mental health. You just have to be a caring person and someone who sees that they're going through a tough time and wants them to to you know feel better and cares about them. So if you think about someone with a mental illness like depression, they might feel really low and rubbish and a burden to other people that nobody cares about them. So if you're coming in just as someone who's spotted what they're going through and saying, look, I see you're struggling. Um, I really care about you. Um, are you okay? Like that can have a huge impact on someone that feels really bad about themselves. So I think that's that's a key, not trying to jump in and fix all their problems. Sometimes people just need time to talk through how they're feeling. Um, and it's not your role to fix people either. Like it's, you know, your role to listen to them and give them a chance to talk. And then if you think that they could benefit from seeing someone, recommend them, you know, some services to them. Um, yeah, and I think... The algae, which is the action plan you'll be familiar with from Mental Health First Aid, is really great because it gives people a framework to think about when they're having those conversations. Um, and it's similar to if someone's done the regular first aid, like to the doctor's ABCD. Um, it kind of gives you steps um, which you can keep you on track when you're having those conversations. Um, but again, not getting too bogged down into it and thinking, oh, have I ticked off A? Have I ticked off L? It's actually listening to the person to understand how they're feeling. Um, sometimes I do role plays in the, well, as part of the training mental first aid, you do role plays. And you can sometimes see someone who's really concentrating on algae and that's where their head's at and they're not listening to what the other person's saying. We think that to me is key, actually listen, because you'll find out so much more by, by listening to the person and being flexible in your approach. So you might go to someone think, saying, I think you might be experiencing, you know, anxiety or you feeling okay. And it could go down a completely different route than you imagined. And you're not going to see that unless you're really paying attention to what the other person's saying. Yeah, you mentioned the um the action plan that you learn um when doing the mental health first aid course, and um not to give away too much of it, but um there were uh, a big part of it is obviously encouraging people to seek professional help or um you know go beyond just kind of talking to a friend because obviously sometimes you need a bit more than that. Um, so I guess uh, what are the available services at uni that you could direct people to if they do kind of open up to you about mental health issues? Look, there's loads of amazing free services and resources for students at university. So the obvious one is um, what was CAPS. So I know everyone's probably, if they've been at UNSW for a while, has heard of CAPS, which is the counselling and psychology service. That's been changed now to psychology and wellness. And there's some amazing positive changes happening in that field. So students will um, be able to access 24-7 support. Um, so outside of business hours, there's going to be a 24-7 support line um, where students can call, they can make an appointment to see um, 
you know someone at the university within the next day or two um, they can refer them to other services if that's appropriate um, and then the the front facing I suppose um, service will be mental health connect so when students go to mental health connect they will be able to um, do an online form they'll see someone there and they'll decide which of the services are best for them at the university because there's a whole host of people who can support students' mental health and well-being, um, along with the psychologists in this psychology and wellness team. There's things like student support advisors, um, ARC, legal, uh, you know, the food hub, the health service, um, student minds, all those peer groups. So not necessarily everybody needs to see a psychologist. Sometimes people need other forms of support to manage the thing that's causing them the stress and anxiety. It's going to be really great just to have like a one um, one stop shop where pe- people will go first and then they'll decide which service is best for them. So um, that's really new. It's just been about to be launched at the minute. So the best place to find out that information is just to follow Student Minds as well because once we have that information, we'll share it there. Um, but yeah, Psychology and wellness is the new name for CAPS, um, but looking out for that mental health connect because that will streamline all the different um, services that people need. And I think as well, looking outside the box, so things like the um, the sports club on, on campus, the gym, that can be really good for people's mental health and well-being. So getting people active, um, Things like the ARC Society's social connection, one of the best things we can do for our well-being. So is there a sports team or a volunteer group group that they could get, you know, join and become part of? So all those things are really, really important. Um, And we will be updating our website at the moment as well. So I don't have all the final details yet, but I would just suggest follow student minds and we'll share them there once we have them. Mm, Amazing. Um, Yeah, I definitely think it's very important that the resources or the services we tell people about is targeted to, you know, what they need at the moment. I think when you're having a mental health first aid conversation with somebody, it's really important to give the person control over where they go. So they might prefer to go off campus. They might prefer not to use a service at UNSW and that's okay. They may prefer to get their information online, to do an online CBT course, which there are some great ones available, like mm-hmm. This Way Up, which is a UNSW St. Vincent's um, joint initiative. They may prefer something, um, you know, in their local area if it's a student who is, you know, you know, based in a different part of Sydney and commutes into the campus every day. So really trying to give people a sense of control giving them some options is really really important and just because they don't go with the first one that's okay like which option works best for them completely agree and I guess I'm building on like the university context we've noticed that with mental health first aid courses there's one for employees there's one for students there's one for volunteers there's many different courses so we were just wondering how mental first aid in a university context would be different in other situations such as I guess work personal setting etc yeah 
So the, yeah, you're right. Mental health first aid have a special one for students and it's a blended version. So students do part of the course online in their own time. And then either in a face-to-face workshop or in webinars, they do the second half. And that's with an instructor like myself. That training is a little bit more flexible for students because students are busy and we have a lot to um, balance. But the main difference is that the scenarios and the case studies are adapted to um, something that students are more likely to, you know, to experience. So rather than having a video showing somebody in their 50s providing mental health first aid to somebody in their 60s, the the people in the videos are university students. Um, they're talking about the university services. Um, so all those things are really key. It's more relatable. But it also covers eating disorders and non-suicidal self-injury, which isn't typically covered in the standard mental health first aid course. And that's because their um, age of onset is more likely to kind of occur at that university age. And it's, um, you know, tends to be more of an issue in the younger population. So that's really, really helpful. Um, and it gives a lot more kind of flexibility to not just be talking about the services that are available for the general population, but the ones that are more relevant to university students. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, I think we also have just to finish up our question, our main questions for you, we just have one student question. Um, so someone is asking um, how to react if their friend is very sensitive and ignoring their messages. So this person believes that something is wrong, but they're not sure um, how to approach their friend without making them feel uncomfortable. So what should they do in a situation like that? Yeah. Um, look, it's it's a... It's, Obviously, if if I had a little bit more information, if it's someone they see face to face or just someone they see, um, you know, texting back and forward. So it really depends on that and the relationship with the person. Um, I think if it was just someone that they were texting back and forward, maybe seeing if they could arrange like a phone call or a Zoom call, FaceTime, anything like that, where they can see the videos a little bit easier Um, and just checking in for them, seeing how they're going. If there's any concerns that the person has, um, you know, any changes in behavior or any signs or indications that they may be struggling, um, you know, just maybe refer to those. So saying like, oh, I've just noticed that you haven't really been yourself recently. Um, You've not really been um, online as much or you haven't been attending class what's been going on for you are you okay um so starting with some sort of examples of things that you've observed can be helpful but try to do that in a non-judgmental way so you know rather than saying you you know you haven't made an effort with your friends saying things like oh we're just concerned about you so coming at it from a really compassionate point of view is important um I would, if you can get them on the phone, that's best. But if you even just wanted to send a text message, just being like, hey, just noticed um, we haven't really spoke very much recently. Um, I've been thinking about you. Hope you're okay. Um, Would love to catch up and chat. So coming at it from a really kind, compassionate thing, but also acknowledging that you've noticed this small change in behavior and you're concerned about them. Mm, That is very important. Thank you for sharing that advice. I know a lot of friends personally as well who just 
uh, know something's wrong with their friends and just don't know what to do. So um, again, promoting mental health first aid course will definitely be very useful um, knowing what to do in certain situations. Um, So I guess that does actually bring us to the end of all the main questions. So we were wondering um, before we wrap up, were there any final comments you wanted to share um, or any recent resources, events coming up um, that you would also like to plug once again? Yeah, so definitely um, would be the Student Minds page that I've, I've mentioned. That's how we reach students. So we don't have a health promotion unit um, newsletter or social media account, but the Student Minds group do. So I you know, would stay tuned there. Some really great tips from students um, and also any upcoming changes with the services, they'll all be announced there. And whenever we have you know, mental health first aid courses available for students to begin to, that's the, the first place where we will advertise them. So definitely check those out. Um, Student Minds got started their new bunch of volunteers this term at OWIC, um, but we're always on the lookout for more people who wish to get involved in that. So if you're interested, it's not too late to sign up to volunteer. Um, it's really fun. It's really good way to get involved on campus. It's AHEGS accredited as well. So you get your certificate once you graduate, it's recorded that you have done this volunteering. And we really in health promotions unit, you know, we're not, you know, the staff aren't students like myself and, and the team lead. We need students to make sure that this is, you know, designed by students, that it's student friendly, student focused. It's student minds always say it's um by students and for students so um the more students we have involved the better we can meet the needs and understand what students need so yeah that's really it um and just obviously the the podcast is an amazing um place for people to find out more about what's happening as well um we will return with project mind this year so um if anybody is in the kind of interested in that design um entrepreneurship skills but with a mental health twist um we'll be starting to promote that later on in term one that's so good i'm so keen i love project mine (laughs) yeah obviously sarah and i have a lot of we can sing the praises of project mine all day um yeah so thank you so much for joining us (laughs) thank you so that's all we have time for for this episode thanks so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's episode Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at GroundedUNSW to stay up to date with upcoming podcast episodes and to get your say on things like guests you'd like to hear from and questions you want answered. It'll also be a really good place to hear more about mental health first aid and a lot of the resources that Rasheen mentioned. Please rate and review the podcast and subscribe or follow our podcast channel to help us continue to grow. If you'd like to contact us, our email is groundedunsw at gmail.com. And finally, if you or someone you know is having mental health difficulties, do not be afraid to seek help. There'll be links to some great resources in the show notes, which you can reach out to if you need support. And with that being said, until next time, stay tuned and stay grounded.